Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. During this special edition of Spotlight, State Representative Jeannie Ives offers an analysis of the election and how conservatives should respond in the wake of the results. Representative Ives opened with remarks about the Democratic Party victories in Illinois and how the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, scored wins against incumbent Republicans. She made her comments in Rockford at a forum hosted by Concerned Christian Americans, a chapter of the Illinois Family Institute. So they own every constitutional office. They have the governorship. They took out Roscom and Holcren, both of whom I know very well. At one point as a state rep, when I first started out, I, I represented both Roscom and Holtzgren. They both lived in my state rep district. I saw them around all the time at political meetings. I'm very close politically to both of them. So those losses hurt really badly. And it, you know, basically the DCCC, just the money that was coming in to support Roscom and then to flip Holcren when they figured out that they had a chance was overpowering just overpowering. And actually that's what created some of the down ballot la losses too. Probably even more than Rauner was uh, the fact that, that the DCCC was working so diligently in these two races. And so that's why we had the losses um, in, in, in Kane County that you saw, in Will County that you saw, in, in DuPage largely. So uh, these losses hurt badly. Lake and Will County boards both went Democratic. They both flipped. They both flipped. DuPage lost six Republican county board seats, and we lost uh, state house and senate seats, and we used to be the most Republican county around. Not so anymore. Pritzker is now the wealthiest elected official in the United States. The wealthiest official. Here's another curiosity that just came up in a, in a uh, report today. I think it was a CBS2 news report, and you may not have heard of it, but this guy named Philip Sipwack ran as a judge in Will County in 2010 and he lost. So he moves up into northern, Northwest Cook County, changes his party affiliation, changes his name to kind of a gender neutral first name and a, a, an Irish last name. And he wins as a judge instead against a stalwart, really great Republican named Dan Fitzgerald. So it's just amazing what stunts they'll pull to win office and that's what he did changed his name and his party affiliation moved. And there's actually some sort of like evidence that people have gathered. They've done some little research and understood that an Irish name really helps you, right? So that's kind of interesting, right? Then you have uh, the new congresswoman who beat Randy Holcren. Her name is Lauren Underwood. She's 32 years old. She's a nurse who's never really practiced as a nurse but made herself out to be a nurse. And in fact, her, her campaign commercials have her wearing scrubs and a stethoscope in what looks to be a, a doctor's office. It's actually a dentist office. I don't know if you saw the article on this, but it's just incredible that she leaves college, grew up in Naperville, by the way. Tony Naperville, and I'm talking, her parents live in a, right on a golf course, uh, in a golf course property. Um, White Eagle Golf Course, very nice properties there. Her father's a manufacturing executive. So she goes away to school, gets her master's as well, in 2010 starts to work with the Obama administration in um, health and human services. 
uh, ostensibly doing some sort of work with um, folks uh, that, you know, that she's just doing research on them. Uh, nothing, in, nothing that a practicing nurse, nurse would do, just interacting with them on a personal level. So she comes up with this narrative that she's worked with patients. She hasn't, not that we can find out. So 2010, she works with Obama, figures out that after he leaves, uh, I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton loses. Well, first of all, she wasn't sure that Hillary was going to lose. So she, she went to D.C., registered to vote there, voted in six elections. Then in the primary in 2016, she did vote by mail from her parents' address in Naperville. So she, she kept her registration in Naperville, had a registration in D.C., did vote by mail in the primary. And she was probably hoping to get Hillary over the top uh, because I, actually her, her district, Will County, I think actually went for Bernie. And then um, in the general, she votes instead in D.C. for uh, ostensibly Hillary, we don't know. But she switches and votes in D.C. instead. And then she, you know, uh, Hillary loses. So in 2017, she gets recruited. She moves back to Naperville, lives with her parents. So she doesn't even own property in Illinois that we know of. And she just starts to ramp up and run against Randy Holgren. So she's 32 years old. And that's who the congresswoman is now, who's going to solve apparently health care, who's never really practiced in health care. So this is the type of folks that the Democrats are running. It's all a fictitious narrative about who they are and what they've done. It's very similar to um, what John Cullerton did with an, another article you may be aware of because it had 25,000 views. And actually, I think that article is what really saved the race for John Kern. He's a state senator that represents part of Western Cook and mostly DuPage County. And uh, you know he, he was running against also like a 30-something who lived with her parents in Western Springs who happened to be a relative of John Cullerton, the long-serving uh, Senate president, and he spent over a million dollars on her race, making her into something. She's got some sort of patronage job in the treasurer's office. Uh, doesn't have a whole lot of work experience. Um, I think her biggest accomplishment was she was the uh, parade queen for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. So, you know, they, this big narrative and this person who's not paid property taxes in her life is going to go make decisions on your taxes in Springfield. Well, fortunately, she got defeated. And I think a large part was we were able to expose exactly who she was and her qualifications, and voters were able to make an intelligent choice. A little too late to save Randy with the exposure. We didn't get that article done and finished until three days prior to the election, so weren't able to capitalize on it as much as we should have. But we have to do better. In, uh, in understanding exactly which can what candidates the Democrats are putting up, right? Yeah, and again, lowest vote share for any incumbent Illinois governor. Now, another thing I'm going to go back to right now, here's the spend by Mike Madigan in these state rep races. Nearly $21 million he spent to win office. So an enormous amount of money to just beat up our legislators. So the top person there, Tara Costa Howard, she ran against Peter Breen. Peter Breen is our Republican floor leader, pro-life. And that's just, this is just really the Madigan spend. That doesn't include the Planned Parenthood, the personal pack um, mailers that came into that district against Peter Breen, who was a stalwart against taxpayer funding of abortion and other stuff. So they won that seat. There's really nothing Peter could do. Uh, the Marty Moylan race, you know, he had to save that person. We had a great candidate up there. Um, a, a woman who actually builds or makes clothing for concealed carry. So 
They, they don't want any of that, right? The Maggie Trevor one, uh, District 54, that's Tom Morrison's district. So spent about 1.5 million on that race. Diana Pappas, she took out Christine Winger, that's another DuPage County race. Solidly Republican district, represented a long time by Republicans. And, Maddie, and this lady, zero qualifications. They just came in, put together a fake narrative, threw up all sorts of social messaging, got out the vote for the Democrats. The results are alarming, just alarming. Uh, my race, District 42, which is the district I currently represent, Kathleen Carrier is the opponent that I had last season. They made her into somebody again that she is not. This is a woman who didn't even fill out the Daily Herald um, endorsement interview information, and she did not even get any of the endorsements yet. They made her out to be some sort of guru. He spent a lot of money, and we barely hung on to my seat, which is the center of DuPage County, if you can imagine that. And my seat was actually, it's not my seat, I'm sorry. The 42nd District, though, was designed actually to kind of create a more conservative district so that he could, in the last remap, bite off other edges of it to give other districts a chance to go Democratic. So this was a consolidation of more conservative-minded folks, and yet we barely hung on to that district in this race. It was only maybe a five to six point spread. You know, previously I won that by about 20 points. So he spent, they, they spent, a, there's been, they've been spending an inordinate, inordinate amount of money to confuse the voters on who we are. And it worked. It worked beautifully. I remember the, the Sam Yingling race. How much did they spend for Sam? Yeah, $1 million. That, that, every year he's, he has spent $1 million. So cumulative, Sam Lee Yingling, he came in with me. So cumulative, Madigan's probably spent well over $3 million building this guy's narrative, creating who he is, and then continuing to propagate that message. I there was a, a message against our Republican opponent who was going against him, Ken Eidstein, and essentially it said, Ken Eidstein, the Republican candidate's going to take away your Medicare and pre-existing condition coverage. Completely false, those are federal issues. So the voter, they, they will go to any length to confuse the voter about the real issues, and they've got loads of money to spend. I don't have all the Republicans spending money, but we spent less than half of the, what the Democrats were able to spend, and I think that's combined House and Senate. So we had a lot less money. We were beat pretty much two to one. In many of these races, we were beating by larger margins, and the money had an effect. They drowned out the airwaves, drowned out the mailboxes. Now, we know from my race that money isn't everything, but um, you have to have sufficient amounts to message back. It's a concern. These, it's gonna, not going to be easy to take some of this back. One of the biggest lies that they told on the campaign trailer, trail was that, and they did this in multiple districts, so this is how it goes. I received money from a large donor. I then donated some of my campaign money to um, Amy Grant, who is taking over for my seat. She actually won. And my large donor over here actually donated to another national PAC that donated to Roy Moore. So therefore, Amy Grant is supportive of accused child predators. So they used that theme around and around. And it didn't matter if you were Amy Grant, if you were Tom Morris, if you were incumbent, if you were male, female, challenger, 
It didn't matter. They used that all the time. And people believed it. People, I don't know what to think of the Illinois voters sometimes. They believed it. So that's kind of our challenge. Money and messaging. And, and this is amongst, uh, you know, when you think about it, this isn't amongst a nearly a, a perfect storm, so to speak. So the Trump effect was real. In my district, it was real. DuPage people were not Trump fans. Hillary won it by seven points. There's little more Peter Roskam could do. I talked to Peter last night. He said, we had the, all the money that we needed. We just had a lot of headwinds. You had Rauner that was a, a down-ballot drag on the rest of the ticket. You had the Democrats who were spending inordinate amounts of money to get the vote out in, in Peter's district. And you had the Trump um, headwind that you could not go against. People, people just said, if I don't like Trump, I'm, gonna vote for, I'm not going to vote for any Republican. I'm just going to take it out on them. So that's kind of what we were faced with in our area. Now, the rest of the part of the state, Trump played magnificently. And in fact, you needed to be behind Trump to win. And so you did see some of that effect as well. Mike Bost won big. In what was supposed to be a fairly close race, he won, I think, almost by 20 points. That was a shocker. That was a surprise one. We thought that was going to be close. It wasn't at all. Trump came in, did a rally for him. Uh, not only Murfreesboro, but then his last one in Cape Girardeau hits, hits the same TV market for Bost. So Trump in parts of the state are great. We're just a very, very diverse state. But I think there's a lot of things that are common throughout the state, and so we're going to go through some of that, too. Oh, just a couple things about the speaker. So for the speaker, this was, this was a big, vindictive win for him. And he's a little bit of a narcissist, if you haven't picked up on that yet. He wrote this memorandum. If you Google it, you can find it. You can read the whole thing. He wrote this memorandum to just basically, to whoever, and it actually was says, to whoever's interested. If you're interested in this, it's to you, too, OK? And he spoke about himself in the third person. Oh like, boy. Speaker Madigan this, and Speaker Madigan that. And uh, you should know, I mean, he got elected again, too, if he serves his time in office, 50 years in office. 50 years in office after, uh, after you know, 200 years as a state. And, he, and in the memo, he specifies the people he beat. And he names them by name. Bruce Rauner, Lieutenant uh, Governor Sanguinetti, Oh, Darlene Sanger, Sherry Jessel. Um, he lists them by name, the people that he won races against. And, he's, and it's all because they tried to tie uh, Democrats, senators, and Republicans who were taking, or, or I'm sorry, senators and representatives that were taking Madigan's money. So if you try to make Madigan the devil in the race, in your race, then he made sure to spend extra money so that he could punish you and then call you out by name because he beat you. That's what he did in this memorandum. I highly encourage you to read it. Um, in fact, and then he goes on, he goes, uh, yeah, one of the titles in, in, for, in his memo is GOP tactic using Speaker Madigan as a foil for Dem candidates fails. So he's writing this, me this memo about himself and he uses the term Speaker Madigan. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the other one says, Speaker Madigan is a champion of smart economic and social policies that protect Illinois residents, workers, and families. Oh. Nothing could be further from the truth. So you've got to wonder, I mean, like, we're living in his head rent-free, right? 
He's really bothered by that. But this is what this election was about to him. That's why he asked for and got all sorts of money from the unions, from um, Personal PAC, from Planned Parenthood, from J.B. Pritzker. He got everything he wanted from them so that he could punish Bruce Rauner and anybody who spoke out about him, which is interesting. I just find it fascinating. Look at GOP attacks were a desperate, out-of-touch attempt to fracture the party and underestimate voters. They failed. Speaker Madigan and the Democrat Party of Illinois are ready to move forward and continue to make Illinois a better place to live. I, this, is, this is what he wrote in this memo. It, it, he is, he's, I mean, delusional, but could be a good word for it. Because fiscally, the Mercatus Center just came out and ranked as 50 out of 50 states for fiscal stability, because it's true. We're a bankrupt, deadbeat state that can't afford to pay for anything and keep borrowing. This was about, uh, so, this, so he got everything he wanted. He wanted every constitutional office. He wanted the governorship. He wanted super majorities. And then he wanted to punish anybody who stood up against him. And he wanted to send a message of intimidation to anybody who would try to take him on. State Representative Jeannie Ives during this edition of Illinois Family Spotlight. Representative Ives took questions at the Concerned Christian Americans Forum in Rockford. We'll have her answers after this. Well, that's not rational at all. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. We've heard this kind of story before, but this time it's in my backyard. The University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, will not allow Christian apologetics group Ratio Christi to be recognized as an official campus club. In fact, UCCS has slow-walked the group's efforts for recognition for three years. Why? Well, because Ratio Christi requires its leaders to uphold the mission of the group and, shockingly, to be Christians. Never mind that the group welcomes all comers to its meetings and events, including atheists and Hindus. The Alliance Defending Freedom has stepped in and has filed a lawsuit on Ratio Christi's behalf. As an ADF press release asked, why would UCCS force an animal rights group to elect a hunter as its president or a vegetarian group to elect a meat eater? Well, given ADF's successful track record in promoting religious freedom on campus, UCCS would be wise to just go ahead and recognize Ratio Christi now. For more on faith and culture, come to breakpoint.org. I'm John Stone Street. Hello, I'm David Smith, the Executive Director of Illinois Family Institute, a state-based Christian pro-life and pro-family public policy organization. I want to invite you to join us as we seek to be salt and light to a dark and rapidly decaying culture. You can do that in a number of ways. For example, you can join our email list to get timely alerts and great cultural commentaries. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, listen to our podcasts, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can attend one or more of the special events and forums we host in different parts of the state. We do all these things to encourage and equip Christians in Illinois. You see, we need you to help us fulfill our mission to boldly bring a biblical perspective to public policy. Our faith requires us to be bold, speak truthfully, and love our neighbors. Join us. Visit IllinoisFamily.org to learn more. Again, that is IllinoisFamily.org. Thanks for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight during this edition, post-election analysis from State Representative Jeannie Ives. 
She also took questions at a forum in Rockford hosted by Concerned Christian Americans, a chapter of the Illinois Family Institute. The audio quality of the questions is a little poor. Our apologies. It's a little hard for us to understand if this chick who, who wears a nurse's uniform and never has been a nurse has been running ads for six months, but who advises Congressman Halpern that let him sit there so long without being more aggressive? His district went for Trump by seven points. He won that district just two years ago by 19 points. I think he just didn't understand the threat that was upon him. And then, um, you know, the opposition research that they, they had, they never really used. And, um, you know, it's, and, and so this is what you have. But the truth is she is a registered nurse. She's not a practicing nurse as she pr pretended to be. And that's that's real issue. So you've, you've got to really connect the dots for voters and let them understand what's going on. I mean, the, the, think about Jake Costanza who ran against um, John, Cavello. John Cavello, right? I mean, that guy, you know, when you start to unpack who he is, <laughs> do you really want him? So, you know, the, the, the good piece that our, you know, the team that I'm affiliated with, Dan Prof's papers, put out that other one about who Jake Costanza's is, and that's got thousands and thousands of views. I mean, so you've got to connect with, with the voters and, and show them the face of reality, right? Yeah. A lot of voters will only go by what newspaper editorial boards do uh, a few days before election or before election, because they figure newspapers are having the candidates before them, sending out uh, surveys, uh, our Republican conservative candidates had better start getting their act together as well in a, a, uh, filling out surveys to Illinois Family Institute organization. Well, here's a couple things. First of all, a lot of our candidates won a lot of editorial endorsements. They did very well in front of these boards. These editor, a lot of the editors do care about policy. They follow it closer than most people that they're that are their readers, and um, so we were able to win on policy, and that's our strength. I mean, our policies, you have to have a conservative reform agenda to change Illinois. There's just no way about it. Less spending, lower taxes, less government. It has to happen, more personal responsibility. There's no other way out of this mess. So we've got the winning message, and I'm not too worried about that. It's just that we're not unified and can, can staying cohesive together on that winning message. That, that is part of our problem. So, um, you know, I, I think, I, you know, the next four years, there's a lot of um, pitfalls uh, that the Democrats are going to have to um, step over or step around or figure out, and they, they don't know how, what to do. They owe every single one of those constituencies that gave them money. They owe the public sector unions of massive raises. They owe their work, the, the lower income, the $15 minimum wage. That'll kill business. They owe... Um, uh, Planned Parenthood, even more aggressive policies like um, getting rid of parental notification. Look, we have veto session, okay, and I'm telling you right now, uh, I've already gotten email messages saying that they want to pass in veto session the, the um, LGBTQ curriculum bill. So they're, they're, these are all these constituents that, um, you know, provided resources in terms of manpower and money to Democrats, and they've got, it's payback time. 
And when they do that, they create a bigger disaster for them, and so there's our opportunity, because it's not going to end good for Illinoisans. That's, you know, if anything, um, hold on to your seats, because we've got a lot of work to do in four years. So we need to go through the voter data. We have to find out where the voter registrations came from, who are they, where were they actually registered, is that a valid registration? We need to do our homework on that because uh, there's all sorts of allegations about where these voters came from and, and, and whether or not they were double registered and some other things. So we have work to do in that area too. There's a lot of data to still go through before we're done writing the chapter on this. So this uh, 2018 election was a lot about the unions fighting back. That's why Scott Walker lost in Wisconsin. Um, Michigan went to a Democrat governor. You know, it was the unions fighting back. Illinois, they doubled down on everything um, to make sure that people understood this is union stronghold and it's not going anyway. Where, well, it's, it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them in the, in the end. And look, it's not just Republicans moving out of the state. Democrats are moving too. So they have a shrinking tax base and they want all this spending for their special favored sons and it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. So I'm, I'm going to just sit back and watch them um, and, and see what they're going to do. The next tax increase is just going to be massive amounts more of out-migration, in my opinion. People who can move will move. Legalization of marijuana, you know, Pritzker says first, first year going to get that done. They have the votes. They, they can do anything they want. And they own it. And the unfortunate thing is that, that, that the, the, about the $550 million that I've seen estimates on that they think that they can get from like a $1.6 billion um, pot business. Um, first of all, I, I doubt that they're going to get that much revenue to begin with. And two, that does nothing. We're over $7 billion in current account debt, $250 billion in pension debt. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket. It is literally nothing with escalating costs and all the other social costs that come along with, with legal pot. I mean, literally the fifth largest uh, state in terms of GDP. The fifth largest state in terms of GDP. Incredible assets. And we are going to balance our budget on, on, on drugs and gambling. I mean, th th why don't you just add in legalized prostitution? Let's just do all the sin taxes at once and be done with it. It's, it's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. It's not going to work. You have to really, yeah, you have got to educate your neighbors. You've got to, you know, and uh, the first pension plan that's not able to pay out, the first city that basically just does mass layoffs and says, we cannot operate, we cannot operate, then maybe you'll get the attention of some of these Democrats, but it's going to take a big financial collapse, hardship, yep. Uh, talk about the influence of being a sanctuary state. Why well, I, I think we're a draw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when we're, when we're a sanctuary state, we're certainly a draw. And I think Pritzker's rhetoric also said that he's going to be a very welcoming governor. And that's a little bit scary to, to some degree because we cannot afford uh, the cost of uh, illegal immigration in this state. We just simply can't afford it. We need to not taxpayers to uh, to be around, and some of them are taxpayers, but not the not to the full extent that we we want them to be that that we need, and they're not high-paying taxpayers. So uh, it doesn't bode well for our safety and security, and our school systems are are just the school systems, and I really are largely for the teachers. I feel for them in our public schools, they have a lot that they have to deal with now in the classroom. 
you know, uh, from the social-emotional issues of the children, um, the bullying that goes on, the broken homes, um, and, you know, and then you pile in the, the number of folks that, that they have to teach that are bilingual. I mean, some of them do very well. That, that's fine. We have refugees. We have, a, we have a qualified refugee program. I get that. It's very legal. It's a very legal thing that we do. In, in my um, home uh, town, there's, you know, about 70 different languages that are spoken at our schools combined because we have a large refugee population. I get it. Uh, but it's still a real stressor, and then you add on even more of that through illegal immigration, and you just really start to bust at the seams as a society. So. While we have to do things well on the grassroots level, our candidates on the Republican side got to pick their game up as well. Just my personal opinion. Okay, so, um, you know, I agree. And, but most of us are left to fend by ourselves for our candidacies and our, our campaigns. Most of us. If you're in a high-profile race where the Republican Party is going to put two million into it or a million more, they, they get some people in there working your campaign for you and give you, you resources. I've never, never have had that. Never. And nor have a lot of other folks. They just assume you're going to be fine. Your Republican uh, uh, people in your area will get, get out to vote for you. It's, it's a false assumption now because everybody's now vulnerable to, to Mike Madigan's money if he wants to take you out and target you. He can skewer you on any vote you take, yes or no, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So one thing is our Republican candidates have got to inoculate themselves, which means they have to work their districts. So they have to be out and giving town halls and talking to people and making sure that people understand who they are, what they stand for, and so they build a, a trust. So when the negative comes, they can combat it. So I highly encourage all my Republican <coughs> colleagues to do town halls. And in fact, I'm willing to come out and do town halls for those who don't want to, or if you're represented by a Democrat, I'm happy to go in there and start to turn the tide. I don't care. I think everybody needs to know what's going on. If we would sit at the, my kitchen table with my girlfriends and decide and design our mailers, what should be the message? We'd obsess over every single word, which picture. We would do that work for us. They don't do that. Now, Republicans are doing the same thing for some of these candidates as well. It's just that the Republican mailers that came out were terrible. They were terrible. They said nothing about nothing, and they did not, I, they weren't positive, and they didn't talk about our policy agenda, and, the, and they didn't do a differentiation piece between the two as much as they should have, in my opinion. This is me. I'm not an expert at this. I've only ran for six years, so I don't really know everything about this. But the Democrats have no problem lying. They have no problem lying on their mailers, and that's what they do. Okay, so... So we'll never win if it's going to be, if we're up against that some, in some cases. So we have to inoculate ourselves. You know, we, we have to get more money in to run more professional campaigns. I mean, it's just, this is a new era. This is not nearly what it was like even in 2013, or 2012 when I ran for my first race. It's just, it's just, it's inconceivable what we're paying for state rep races. Okay, so there's a lot we can do here. I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but really, um, you know, getting involved locally, being a precinct committeeman, being an election judge, um, uh, running for your school board. I mean, all of that is really important. That's the deal. So, but you guys got to decide to do it. You got to, you got to decide to be part of that grassroots effort. Mm -hmm. Sam Brady, Jim Edgar, suggesting the path forward for the state GOP to steer clear of social issues. What do you think? 
they can pretend all day long that you can steer clear of social issues. And even Rauner tried to say that he doesn't have a social agenda. Well, I mean, what, what happens? They, you, never, you can't steer clear of them. You just can't. You're going to be asked, and the question's got to be answered if you're being honest about who you are. So if you're afraid, if you're just never going to say anything about it, then who's going to trust you on those issues? Because they come up. And so voters need, deserve to know. So the idea that you can steer clear from it is where I go wrong with them. You can't. You actually can't steer clear from them. So, you know, when's the last time either one of them ran for election in Illinois? Yeah. You know, they don't know what's going on. They have no idea. So you might as well just tell people who you are and then talk about what we all agree upon. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to vote on those things. And, uh, but, but you know what? I don't care who you are. Your property taxes are killing you. And, and so, I mean, that's a much better method than to pretend that you can steer clear of them. That's just ridiculous. You can't. Jane, one of the things that always impressed me about you is that you didn't lie. Oh, thanks. And <laughs> you made that comment about all oh, the Democrats lie, so do Republicans, and we know that. <laughs> issue, yeah, that's true. I have to our say. issue is we need to do better as a base to make sure we vet and know who we're putting out. And don't allow those people that just because they have money doesn't mean that they get the top of the ballot. And that's a problem that Illinois has. All the, all the whole country does, we know that. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm here to just give you hope. I mean, I think that our primary election gave a lot of people hope. We didn't have all the money. We did it in four and a half months, but we certainly showed them that we are forced to be reckoned with and that there is a conservative reform movement out there in the state of Illinois. And it doesn't matter. It's the Democrats do not have the answers, and even if they wanted to put the answers in, the constituencies that they owe favors to for, the office, for putting them in office will not let them do the right thing. They will not. So we have this opportunity to lead on policy. But in order to do that, you have to change out the leadership. Because policy is fermented in those caucuses. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where they decide to either buy in with the Democrats or stand in opposition or come up with an alternative or explain to voters what's going on. So wholesale leadership change has to happen so that we can lead on policy, which is what we're better at. State Representative Jeannie Ives during a post-election forum in Rockford hosted by Concerned Christian Americans, a chapter of the Illinois Family Institute. Our thanks to Jan Kloss and the CCA team for allowing IFI to record this important event. Please consider an end-of-year gift to the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax-deductible and through December 31st will be matched dollar for dollar up to $100,000. To give, call IFI at 708-781-9328 or visit IllinoisFamily.org. 708-781-9328 or visit IllinoisFamily.org. And please tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. 
If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize. 